Hello everyone out there. This is Peter Harris from Commercial Property Advisors, author of the book, Commercial Real Estate Investing for Dummies, and coach and mentor to many commercial real estate investors all across this great nation of ours. The title and subject of today's podcast is Catching a Falling Knife requires three things. It requires good timing, it requires practice, and it requires guts. Purchasing distressed commercial real estate requires the same thing, good timing, practice, and guts. We have such a deal right here, what I believe is a falling knife. Would you catch this deal? It's a 68 unit that no local bank would touch. Number two, 75% of the tenants were not paying rents. Number three, several of the units the city shut down because they were uninhabitable. And number four, this all happened during COVID, OMG. And number five, the seller has three other failing businesses. This is a falling knife of a deal right here. Now the question is, would you catch it? Would you catch it? Well, what if I tell you that the purchase price is about 3.25 million it needs a quarter million dollars of, of renovation, which is not a lot, but the ARV is over $7 million. Would you catch this falling knife of a deal? Would you catch it? One of our students, Chet, just did so. I'm going to share with you what caused the property to, to become distressed, the plan we put together to make sure we could turn around, how the financing, getting the loan, the loan work, and lastly, the execution, how we did the actual turnaround other property to get it in a position to be successful. And lastly, I want to give you a disclaimer. When you purchase distressed commercial real estate, it can be very risky. So it's not for the beginner who has no help. It's not for the timid. It's not for the trepid. You need a bit of guts to take down a deal like this, which Chet did with our help. So big returns are the potential, but probably the most important thing to get these big returns, you better know what you're doing. Let's jump into the interview with Chet, how we took down the 68 unit apartment building. And then when we come back, uh, I will share with you how you can put yourself in his position. Let's go there next. Hello, everyone. Uh, Peter here. Thank you for joining us. I have another awesome guest for you today. His name is Chet. He's one of our students and he has taken down a, an awesome deal. And as I mentioned before, this is not a deal for the timid or the trepid. I mean, this is a great deal. I was kind of risky, but the, the payoff is huge. Today, we're going to share uh, exactly how Chet did it. All right. So Chet, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning, Peter. My pleasure. All right. So, you know, we're going to jump right into it. So, uh, so Chet, share with us uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, um, Happy to join you today. Yeah, I've uh, been working in the pharmaceutical industry now for about 19 years. As you mentioned, I have kids, three kids. I've been married to a wonderful wife for almost 13 years. And in uh, our spare time, we like to go to the beach and, you know, big football fans, uh, love sports, love outdoor things like bike riding, have a lot of hobbies like playing pool and, and such and boating, you know, love to join you today and talk about my story. All right. Awesome. I like to start off with your why. Because if the why is really understood, and then the how is not so difficult. So share with us, what is your why for wanting to invest in commercial real estate? So what, what drives you? Yeah, Peter, it's a great question. So what drives me, what burns my fiery day to, to find deals like this one 
is really going back as a child. Growing up, I was one of many kids, had a large family, and both my parents were teachers, great parents, but we always seemed to be short on, on money, short on finance. And finance really guided my parents' vision as it relates to what the family could and couldn't do, whether or not we could go out to eat or, you know, go to the local amusement park. And it was always guided by their finance. And, you know, as I grew up living in the, the outskirts in, of New York City, you know, the allure of the big buildings always brought a smile to my entrepreneurial spirit. And mm-hmm. as it relates to those two things, the allure of the big buildings, as well as the, the freedom from a financial perspective that my parents didn't have while when I was growing up, that's something I want to provide to my kids and, and allow them to to bear the fruits of what commercial real estate provides from a financial perspective. That's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. So what I want to do next is I want to jump right into the deal. So share with us about this deal. A few minutes prior to the interview, I I gave it kind of a little background on the deal and you took down a distressed commercial property. So share the number of units, the location and all of that, please. Sure. The location is up in Rochester, New York, so upstate New York, for those folks who kind of get a general feeling up in the Syracuse Buffalo arena. It's a 68 unit, two bed, one bath, about five different buildings. It also includes about 25 garages. I found it off market using the methods you teach, Peter, here at CPA. And after speaking to the owners, I immediately saw an opportunity that neither the son or the father, in this case, wanted to spend the necessary time to appropriately manage this asset. They really, really were distressed from a perspective of the son doing all the property management. He really wanted to utilize his time to focus on his other hobby or other passion, which was restaurants. Mm -hmm. And over the course of 20 years that they've had this property, it really, really just became too much for them. Over the last five years, it really became distressed from the perspective of you know, not keeping up with the actual structure, uh, dilapidation, rents way under market. And so the opportunity was in front of me to grab a hold of, and it took about two and a half years to do so <laughs> with the pandemic and inability to get inspectors into the building based on the COVID restrictions that tenants had and, and things of that nature. But I saw the diamond in the rough, if you will, and really persisted with all the uh, intangible pieces to put the deal together and finally struck gold and, and secured the deal. And, and, and now we're working on the next stage. Uh, share with us the purchase price and maybe the uh, the vacancy issues and the delinquency in the, in the rental income due to the pandemic, because there was a moratorium there in that state that greatly affected the owner's ability to collect the rent. That's absolutely correct, Peter. So the moratorium in New York was such that folks essentially didn't have to pay rent for purposes of being out of work based on the COVID up until this year, January 15th to be exact. And so over the course of the roughly two years that COVID was suppressing that area up in Rochester and all of New York, the tenants didn't pay rent for that duration, roughly two years. And so the owners were extremely cash-strapped really were trying to walk away from the building, didn't put any money back into it because obviously they were hemorrhaging funds. And the opportunity from a perspective of walking in there and hopefully having the moratorium lift on January 15th has really allowed me to be able to seed on the restabilization of the property and move things back to normal, Uh, not, not quite there yet, but getting there. 
relative to vacancies, there certainly were a lot of vacancies. Property in and of itself had about a 10% vacancy rate, but a lot of folks weren't leaving or being evicted based on the moratorium. So with the vacancy rate and really nobody paying, it was extremely, extremely interesting to see the previous owners really just want to walk away from this asset. All right, audience, let me share with you what Chet just referred to. It's really important that we understand the difference between the physical vacancy and the economic vacancy. So Chet was saying that there is 10% vacancy in the property, but the economic vacancy, meaning that the number of people that are actually paying were much less, right, Chet? That's right. That's right. So you were 90% full, but out of those 68 people, how many were actually paying? Well, I would say out of the 68, there was probably 10 units paying. And those 10 units that were paying were in the rears as well. So they, wow. were, they were trying to provide some form of payment, but it, was, it was, was not even close to full relative to what they were paying against their supposed rent. That is crazy. This is why it's a distressed property. Again, you know, you have 68 units and you're nearly full. You have 60, 60 something people there but only 10 are paying. You know, that is that is a distressful situation. And at one point you uh, took a visit and you came back and you and I were talking and you drove into the parking lot and you saw all the new cars and boats in the parking lot. So they were actually not paying their rent, but buying new cars. Is that right? That's correct. It was astonishing that folks would... <laughs> would be living this way in terms of um, their responsibilities, if you will. But yes, they were they were getting some somebody from somewhere and obviously had a, a means to just put it into uh, cars and uh, material things and, and not pay the rent. Next, let's discuss how you finance this deal. You know, early on, you and I decided that there was no way we can go to the bank for this deal. So share with the audience how you finance this deal. I put together uh, essentially a plan approached many different banks and and many different brokers in regards to what the ARV would be of this property once I stabilized it, once I got it under control and was able to get cash flow and and NOI where it needed to be. And so with, with that approach and that portfolio in hand, I went to many different banks. Of course, you could ascertain that Based on the manner in which I, the, the current asset was presented to them, a lot of them turned me away. Some of them looked towards bridge loans. But where I landed, Peter, was based on um, my financials and the financials of the property at ARV, I landed on a bank that was, was able to provide me with an LOC, a line of credit. And the Mm -hmm. line of credit for the asset was about 75% of the value or of the asking price, which was $3.25 million. Okay. So $3.25 million was the purchase price. You secured a, a line of credit based upon your financials for 75% of that. And then you had to come in with a 25% down payment. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Got it. And that included the purchase, some of the rehab. And so share with us what you and your, your proper manager, I met him too. So very sharp guy. Share with us, what is your turnaround pr- plan for the property? So the turnaround plan for the property is to increase the rents to market now that the moratorium is up, give the folks who are in the in the rears the opportunity over three months to catch up in addition to paying the current rent. And for those folks who there's an unfortunate circumstance, they would either have to vacate the premises 
or they would have to, you know, sign a new lease that stating that they agree to the terms of paying the arrears in three months, as well as the new market rent that we put on the property. So for all of the tenants that are in arrears, and I saw the delinquency report, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars as of today that they have to catch up with. And what you're saying is you're going to give them a chance to catch up with the plan that they have to sign on. And if they don't uh, adhere to the plan, they're getting evicted. Is that right? That's correct, Peter. Okay. Yeah, that's a good plan. Rather than just evict everybody, give them a chance to pay, a chance to recover. And then if they can do it, great. And they can't, they have to vacate and you put someone else in, right? That's right. And if they vacate, what we're doing in the turn, if you will, is we're going to do a couple little upgrades, um, some new paint. We're going to put in some new flooring. Again, increase the rents to the market and then obviously rent out to the new new tenant. Okay. So, Chet, what you're saying is there's not a whole lot of renovations needed in this apartment building. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. On the exterior, there's certainly some landscaping and things that can be done to cosmetically make it look good. But interiorly, they're pretty nice looking and uh, a couple of cosmetic things like paint and stuff like that. And and that's it. So this was basically a financially distressed property and not a physically distressed or market distressed property. That's correct, Peter. Okay, that's great. All right. And what are some of the rent levels? So so what are the rents today once a unit gets vacant? And then what are you going to raise it to? So what are some of the ranges there? Yeah, the rents today range anywhere between six fifty and seven fifty, and the market rents today are between eight ninety five and nine fifty. Wow. Okay, that's a pretty big jump. Yeah. And uh, the question we we all want to hear the answer to is is once this property is turned around, what is the property worth? It's worth seven point three four million dollars ARV <laughs> at the cap rate in Rochester. Wow. Was it worth taking uh, this risk? Without a doubt, Peter, definitely <laughs> taking a risk. Most, yes. Like most things in life, it's if you stick to your guns and you see the, the fruits of your labor, it's, it's worth the risk. Yeah, that is great. Okay, so you have this line of credit. What is the extra strategy? Because uh, how long is the line of credit uh, good for? Yep, great question, Peter. So the line of credit is good for two years. And with it, with that line of credit, we didn't utilize any of the renovation money up front. What we did up front was we did a little bit of, of seller financing. We enticed the seller uh, with a seller financing based on getting some of their money back that they had in the rears as well through the moratorium. So the line of credit, Peter, was for, again, the 75%. We use a $250,000 seller financing at 5% interest back to the seller. And we utilize those funds for the renovations right out of the gate. And we'll use some of the additional line of credit that wasn't taken into the uh, purchase down the road if we need to over the two years. But relative to our exit strategy, we're going to do a cash out refi. And we're looking to do that in the next four to five months prior to year one. And that cash out refi will allow us to grab the cash from the equity and then pay off the loan, refi into a new loan, and then obviously pay back anybody who needs to be back, pay back like the seller's 250K. Now that was excellently put together. So purchase price, seller financing, we're able to get the renovation money back at closing to help you renovate. And you didn't even have to use all the line of credit uh, for this. That's right. Okay, awesome. 
And then once it's all set and done and stabilized, you're going to go and get a long-term loan, probably a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac product, low interest rate, 30-year loan, and cash flow like crazy. Absolutely, Peter. Mm -hmm. Any uh, projections on what the cash flow will be once that loan is in place? Yeah, the cash flow on an annual basis, once that loan is in place, will be, depending on the, the rate of the loan, will be anywhere between $400,000 and $500,000. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. So well worth the risk, right? Well worth the risk, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. You know, this journey, it, it wasn't all that easy. Can you share with us one or two difficult things that you encountered and how you overcame it? The most difficult part was dealing with the, the state of New York and their moratorium. And that moratorium, as I mentioned earlier, allowed folks to essentially live rent free at the owner's uh, behest. So that was a really big hurdle to, to understand how, once I did take over the property, how that conundrum would be able to be, be jumped or I could get around. And so the second biggest thing was really the, the span of time to secure the asset. Again, going back to COVID, we had a contract in place with the owner, but it took so long to exercise on that contract with all the due diligence because, again, we couldn't get inspectors into these buildings based on COVID and, and the, the different laws that were put in place because of it didn't allow inspectors to go into buildings in New York and and uh, inspect buildings with tenants in there as well. So I think the, the COVID, the pandemic, the state regulations and, and those hurdles collectively were the biggest uh, or most difficult part of really securing the deal. Our audience is mostly beginners. Share with the beginner maybe two or three of your, your tips of how they can get started. What would that be, Chad? Yeah, sure, Peter. So what I would say is utilizing Peter and CPA's marketing tactics, you know, you really have to bear down and realize that it's not going to come overnight relative to finding a deal. You're going to at least spend two to three months, sometimes even longer, finding one deal out of a hundred options that you could come across if the numbers don't work and, and things of that nature. So my, my suggestion and advice would be stay patient, stay diligent. That would be number one. Number two would be utilize all of your resources when it comes to finding the deal to take it down. So that would mean folks that you know that you can come in the deal with you as a co-investor. It would mean reaching out to banks that aren't really intuitive as it relates to understanding commercial real estate and help them understand what the ARV is of your project and get them to understand how they can creatively help finance it for you. That would be probably number two. And number three, Peter, is every day just stay humble and your mm -hmm. dreams will come true. If you stay humble, have a focus, have a vision, commercial real estate is something that everybody can do if they educate themselves first. And number two, everybody can do it if they just stay humble and, mm -hmm. and keep their vision, keep their eye on the prize. Those are three great tips. So in the summary, uh, be patient, number one. Yeah, you're right, Chad, because this business is not easy, but it's very lucrative. I mean, look at your deal. Your your life has changed with one deal. Yes. And, and your kid's life, one deal. And number two, you got to have a good plan. So you went to the lender that we gave to you and you went to the lender with a plan because lender want to know, they want to know the story, the backstory. And this property had a great story and why they should fund it for you. 
and what it could be. And you laid it out excellently. And, uh, and thirdly, you say, stay humble. For me, when I hear those words come out of your mouth and what they mean to me, what I know about you is not to give up. Absolutely, Peter. Yep. This deal took a couple of years to do. It was well worth it. That's right. All right, Chet. So um, we'll close with this. Could you share with us what are your future plans? So my future plans are obviously to continue searching for for deals in commercial real estate. It's been a great ride so far, and I expect it to be a great adventure moving forward. In the not too distant future, I'm looking to become a, a full time commercial real estate investor. After I mentioned 19 years of working in the pharmaceutical industry. Wouldn't have given it up for the world, but definitely see the path to my future and my why being achieved faster with commercial real estate. Mm. All right. And uh, we've enjoyed being uh, by your side this whole journey and this next journey, too. I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Peter, as well as I do. All right, Chet. Hey, just want to say thank you for today. This was awesome. And uh, thank you for sharing. I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of folks. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate all your help as well. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Wasn't Chet just amazing? Brave guy, smart guy, brave guy. He's just awesome to coach. So one question for you. Would you catch this falling knife? Would you catch it? Would you catch this deal? Would you go for it? I'd like to know how many of you are out there just like Chet. Now, catching a falling knife requires three things. It requires good timing. Did Chet have good timing? Yes, he did. It couldn't be any better. When I think of timing and when I'm coaching or thinking about commercial real estate, I look at timing as opportunities. In commercial real estate, there's a saying, opportunity is missed by many people because it is disguised as overalls and work. That's what we had here. We had overalls and work here Many people have passed by this deal, but Chet didn't. Okay, so timing was perfect. Number two, practice. Did Chet have the practice of taking down financing and turning around a distressed 68-unit apartment building? No, he didn't. Where did he get it from? From us. So we walk our students through such things. This is, a, this is what I call almost a piece of cake for us. And number three, Guts. Did Chet have the guts? Absolutely. If he one day said, Peter, this is too much for me. I don't want to do it. By all means, let's cancel it. We'll never force any deal on any of our students, but Chet had the guts to pursue this one. And uh, number three, uh, probably the, the most important part is, was from Chet's standpoint, what does it take to do what he did? What mentality, uh, what's in your heart? What do you have to do on a daily basis to do what he did? Number, number one, uh, you have to stay patient. There's a saying, you don't wait to invest in commercial real estate, you buy commercial real estate and wait. So that was exactly Chet's mindset. You saw how long it took him to actually close on a deal. Often, not every time, but sometimes it does take that long. Was it worth it to create three or $4 million for your family? Absolutely. Number two, Chet said to utilize all available resources to use us we have our students create relationships, and Chess Lender was one of our lenders that we gave to him. He created a wonderful relationship with his lender, and he was able to find Chet that deal. So utilize all the available resources that are around you. Number three, every day, Chet says to stay humble. The reason why he said that is because it is so easy to give up in his business. And the reason why someone gives up 
is because they're not being humble. They're looking at it from the standpoint of they can't do it, or they're speaking from an angle of frustration, which is not themselves. You have to stay humble and stay in the game and stay focused in your eye on the prize. He had to do that for a couple of years. What's the result? Amazing results.